Hell on Earth. The nightmare depicted by Flemish painter Peter Brugel in his mid-16th century, The Triumph of Death, reflects the social upheaval and terror that followed the plague that devastated medieval Europe. Thought by most to be a scourge of the past, the bacteria of the plague still appears from time to time and has even been researched as a biological weapon by some countries. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Dark History Podcast. Hope everybody's well. I'm Rob, your host as always. In episode 3, we're going to talk about the Black Death. This topic seems like it was eons ago, but the emergence of COVID-19 and the quarantines it brought with it plunges back in time with the same methods of containing such an outbreak as we used in the medieval times. So without further ado, please sit back and relax for more Dark History. Plague is one of the deadliest diseases in human history, second only to smallpox. A bacterial infection found mainly in rodents and associated with fleas, plague rapidly leaps to humans in close contact. Plague outbreaks are the most notorious epidemics in history, inciting fears of plagues being used as biological weapons. Today, plague cases still pop up, sporadically around the world, including in the United States or China. Also, there was a suspected case in the Inner Mongolian region. But the disease is no longer as deadly, as it can be treated with antibiotics when available. For hundreds of years, what caused plague outbreaks remains a mystery and shrouded in superstitions. But keen observations and advances in microscopes eventually helped unveil the true culprit. In 1894, Alexandra Yershin discovered the bacterium responsible for causing the plague, Yersinia pestis. Many small mammals act as hosts to the bacteria, including rats, mice, chipmunks, prairie dogs, rabbits and squirrels. Rats have long been thought to be the main vector of the plague outbreaks, because of their intimate connection with humans in urban areas. When rodents die from the plague, fleas jump to new hosts, binding them and transmitting Yersinia pestis. The transmission also occurs by handling tissue or blood from a plague-infected animal, or inhalation of infected droplets. There are three types of plague. Bubonic plague, the disease's most common form, referred to telltale buboes, painful swollen lymph nodes that appear around the groin, armpit or neck. The skin sores become black, leading to the nickname during the pandemic as Black Death. Initial symptoms of these early stages include vomiting, nausea and fever. And then there is pneumonic plague, the most infectious type and is an advanced stage of plague that moves into the lungs. During this stage, the disease is passed directly person to person through airborne particles coughed from an infective person's lungs. If untreated, bubonic and pneumonic plagues can progress to septicemic plague, which infects the bloodstream. If left untreated, 
Pneumonic and septicemic plagues kill almost 100% of those infected. Having originated in China and Inner Asia, the Black Death decimated the armies of Kipchak Khan Janibag while he was besieging the Genoese trade port of Kaffa, now Theodosia, in Crimea, in 1346. This rural Bratwater fishing village would be the epicentre of the mass death to come. With his forces disintegrating, Janibag catapulted plague-infested corpses into the town in an effort to infect his enemies, in an early attempt at biological warfare. From Kaffa, Genoese ships carried the epidemic westwards to the Mediterranean ports. But first, let's set the scene. At the time, trade along the Silk Road had become big business, and in the 13th century it expanded like no other. But this wasn't just on land. The sea lanes and trade routes of the Mediterranean had prominently emerged as not only a vital income, but a success to any emerging empire. Thus ports and harbours would grow, becoming strategically critical, as the world first dipped its toe into becoming a global community. Along with the ever-lucrative and prosperous trading ventures, the world had seen a population boost. A prolonged period of favourable weather produced massive crop yields. Of course, the extra food would mean more mouths could be fed, and Europe was said to have peaked in the 75 to 80 million range. But as the saying goes, what goes up must come down. By the 1330s, the weather had changed for the worst, coupled with some ecological disasters such as droughts, earthquakes and flooding and these would create a recipe for disaster. As I said, this is a time when crops began to fail, and malnutrition was rampant in rural areas. This would push people to move into the cities, where urban planning would be unable to keep up with the masses of people flocking into the already tight-packed and walled cities. This would make an even more crowded city more unsanitary and dangerous, and a perfect breeding ground for the plague. Just a little side note, these ecological disasters had huge effect on rat migration, and this would push them also into the cities. The infected people who fled the siege in Kaffa embarked on ships. Their journey would take them first to Constantinople, arriving in the summer of 1347. Here, the plague would disembark and kill 50-70% to 70% of the city's population. From the Bosphorus, it would spread over land in two directions. To the west, it would rip through Bulgaria, Romania, Greece, and would head north to Poland. To the east, it would spread across Anatolia and into Persia. The plague arrived in Europe in October 1347, when 12 Genoese galleys from the Black Sea docked at the Sicilian port of Messina. People gathered on the docks would be met with a horrific surprise. Men and women that were still alive were gravely ill and covered in black boils that oozed blood and pus. Later, they would discover the piles of dead bodies below deck 
Sicilian authorities hastily ordered the fleet of death ships out of the harbour, but it was too late. The Black Death invaded the city with an unfettered enthusiasm. After it had finished with the city, it spread to the island killing a third of the population. The ships that were cast out of Messina would continue on their journey, spreading the plague to Marseille, Genoa, Tunis, Sardinia, Corsica and Malta. The city that the ships originated from, Genoa, became infected in late November 1347. The 90,000 inhabitants saw 30-40% to of its population wiped from the face of the earth. The city of Marseille wouldn't fare much better, and the city would serve as a major entry point into France. From here, the plague would move north to Avignon, arriving in January 1348. It was in 1348 that the plague would appear in Venice. The Grand Council and the Doge, Andre Dondello, would take a hard line, and some would say a very brutal view, to save as many of its 120,000 people as possible. Every ship that entered the harbour would be vigorously searched. If the plague was detected, the ship would be instantly put to the torch. Infected people would be sent to a secluded island near Venice called Paveglia Island. Here, people would be quarantined for 40 days. The word quarantine comes from the Italian curanta gironi, meaning 40 days. The municipality would use a fleet of gondolas. These boats would travel the canals calling out Carpe Marte, Carpe Marte, or Bring your dead. The people would then throw the corpses of their loved ones into the waiting ships below. But even with all these measures in place, the death toll in Venice soared to 60%, killing around 70,000 people. With this death rate being so high and so rapid, the complex networks of society would begin to fail and vanish completely. As the city crumbled around it, the Venetian government stepped up to the plate, introducing almost draconian measures of martial law. With these, the city would hold on by the skin of its teeth. But as Venice grappled to protect its remaining inhabitants, the Black Death continued, arriving in Florence in the spring of 1348. The times leading up to this had been hard for the city of Florence to say the least. Floods, droughts, disease and famine had all passed through the city. Compounding this, the Florentine banks had loaned a vast amount of money to King Edward III of England for his portion in the Hundred Years' War. Loans he would default on, and the magnitude of these loans was so immense it would financially ruin the city. Unfortunately, the 100,000 people in the city of Florence had no idea what was about to hit them. Imagine, seemingly from nowhere, purple-black swellings in your armpits and groins suddenly begin to appear. Not only are they on you, they're on your loved ones and pretty much everyone you come into contact with. Then imagine the bloody vomit 
high fever and delirium that followed, ultimately leading to, in most cases, an agonising death. Florence would go the same way as most cities that contracted the plague, entire families dead, entire neighbourhoods wiped out, corpses littering the streets, homes full of dead or dying, all after a few days. The city would be gripped with an unimaginable panic. Rioting and looting were rampant. People who weren't affected barricaded themselves into their houses. And the dead and dying were left to rot. 50% of the city of Florence would perish. 50,000 people dead in a matter of days. An eyewitness wrote that a huge trench would be dug in the churchyard. People in their hundreds were stacked in them like goods on a ship, until the trench was filled to the top. Unfortunately, Florence wasn't done yet. This very same plague pit would soon be emptied again, as the spring rains would wash the bodies back into the streets of Florence, their bodies becoming a stable food source for the city's rats, pigs, and even dogs, creating an apocalyptic scene. By mid-1348, the Black Death continued on its macabre path, the warm weather giving it a greater momentum towards Paris. Here, it would fester, reducing the population from 210,000 to 105,000. But the worst of it all was yet to come. The Black Death's most sinister work would be the crossing of the English Channel and the invasion of Britain. It would reach the shores of Britain on the 24th of June 1348. The first well-known case in England was a seaman who arrived at Weymouth, Dorset from Gascony. From Weymouth, the disease spread rapidly across the southwest. The first major city to be struck was Bristol and then it continued its march throughout the island. On the continent, the death rate was on average 33%. To put that into some modern perspective, COVID-19 had a death rate of less than 1%. In Britain, it was as high as 55%. But like I said, that was an average. Some cities would see death rates as high as 80-90%. to When towns and cities had run out of places to bury the dead, or they couldn't bury them fast enough, they would resort to burning them. Could you imagine being a traveller, walking the roads and paths of Britain in this nightmarish landscape of decomposing corpses in the street, the dead and dying everywhere, and piles and piles of bodies being torched, black plumes of smoke in all directions, with the ash of the dead raining down everywhere. So many towns and villages were ripped apart, industries completely ruined because of no workers, cattle dying because there weren't any farmers to tend to them. With no people in some villages, nature took back control and these ghost towns would become overgrown. The disease reached London in the autumn of 1348 in devastating fashion. 
If you've had the privilege of even visiting London, you will know it's quite grand, with wide streets and neatly spaced buildings. In 1348, it was a cesspit of dirt and disease, tightly packed people living on top of each other, the streets lined with sewage, even for medieval standards, London was a shithole. So when the plague did arrive, Londoners would be hit with two waves. In the winter months, the 100,000 population would be driven indoors, tightly packed together, a perfect breeding ground for the pneumonic plague. Secondly, as winter gave way to spring, warmer weather brought the rats and their fleas back into the city, and they would spread the bubonic plague. Even with the astonishing death rate in Britain, the worst was yet to come. The plague advanced north and would see villages, towns and cities decimated. By late 1349, it had reached the borders of Scotland. If you know the relationship between England and Scotland, you will know it can be somewhat hostile. Suppose that's what happens when you rape and pillage a country for 500 years. So when it reached the borders of Scotland, the Scots thought it was an English phenomenon and were lapping up the plight of the English people. Taking their opportunity, the Scots would amass an army in March 1350 to invade and take the realm. Unfortunately, the gathering Scottish army would be struck down with instant death as the plague ripped through their ranks, killing all of them. A little interesting side note, the Scottish army wouldn't be the only one wiped out by plague. Alfonso XI of Castile was on the verge of taking the city of Gibraltar in 1350 as part of his reconquista against the Emirate of Granada. Instead, his army was completely, to the man, destroyed by the plague, and Alfonso XI would become the only reigning European monarch to die of the Black Death. This one event would keep Granada safe and halt the reconquista, for another 150 years. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. The British Isles would see 50 to 60% of its population die as a result of the plague. Unfortunately, the plague's hellish task wasn't complete. Moving across land, it would infect what is today modern Germany and into Austria, reaching the gates of Vienna. As we know, the plague wasn't happy with just travelling on land. It hitched a ride from the British Isles to Scandinavia. Ships would be found cast adrift, with nothing on board but ravaged corpses. Bergen, in Norway, would be the first hit. But it didn't stop there. It would push eastwards, infecting cities and rural communities, all the same. Schusendal 
which is a secluded Norwegian mountain village, was devastated in 1349. When a rescue party was sent a year later, the only survivor was a young girl named Raipi. The poor child was so deprived of human interaction and guidance, she had devolved back into an animalistic existence, hunting wild game like a wolf, and she'd lost her ability to communicate with words. So how did the Black Death end? Well the short answer is, nobody actually knows. From Norway it swept into Poland, and due to Casimir the Great's hardline view on quarantining, which was to wall people up into their houses if they showed symptoms, it hardly took hold. It's also believed that Poland had an abundance of cats, which curbed the rat population. It would then move on to Moscow, in 1353, continuing east back into the Eurasian steppe where it came from. Make no mistake, Europe was utterly devastated. But by 1353, the Black Death was over. It's estimated a third of Europe's population perished due to the Black Death. Historians argue that this number is more likely an underestimate. Reports at the time were heard in Europe that around 20 million people were killed in Asia. But like Europe, this is likely a gross underestimate, as there were far more people in Asia than Europe at the time. Worldwide, it is believed that the number of people that died due to the plague was around 200 million. It's believed. As I mentioned before, Countries like Poland and cities like Milan would actually wall people up if they had any sorts of symptoms. Of course, this would be with their families in their own houses. As brutal as it sounds, Milan's death rate was 15%, and Poland's was considerably less than the rest of Europe. Europe saw the worst of the Black Plague for nearly 10 years before the disease began to subside. Yet it still returned every decade or so, up until the 18th century. It was never quite as deadly as it was in the 14th century. It wasn't all bad for Europe. With the lesser populations, workers became few and far between, which pushed the price of workers up. With fewer people, there was more food, which pushed the price of food down. Peasants and serfs were able to build wealth and live more affluent lives. Women would be allowed to take up jobs that for centuries had been predominantly male. And this would bring about the beginning of the end of serfdom. The Black Death. What can I say? When researching this I found some amazing explanations for the cause of the plague. Some believed it was punishment from God. Some believed that it was foreigners, or those who followed different religions, and poisoned the wells. These people were mostly Jewish, and they would become the scapegoat for Europe. They would be rounded up and tortured for confessions, which were obviously false. Then came the incinerations. Places like Toulon in France and Brandenburg 
in what is now Germany, burned some of their Jewish people alive. People thought a miasma was to blame. They thought by breathing in bad air, it would give them the plague. So they flocked to the country to get fresher air. Of course, some believed the exact opposite and would run to stick their heads in latrines or drink urine. Medical practices of the time were just as crazy. People would use bloodletting and boil lancing, but these practices were just as dangerous as well as unsanitary. Lancing of the boils did work in some cases, but very few. There were superstitious practices, such as burning aromatic herbs and bathing in rose water or vinegar. Meanwhile, in a panic, healthy people did all they could to avoid the sick. Doctors refused to see patients, priests refused to administer last rite, and shopkeepers closed their stores. Many people fled the city for the countryside, but even there they could not escape the disease. It affected cows, sheep, goats, pigs, chickens, as well as people. One set of people that did help were the plague doctors. If one of these bird-beaked, leather-clad individuals were to appear at your door, your well-being was in dire straits. We have all seen the pictures of these people, beaked mast filled with herbs to keep out the stem, thick leather coats and boots to seal themselves off from the outside air, sort of like a medieval hazmat suit, eye holes in their masks, off-centred because it was believed transmission could occur through a gaze. For a lot of people, these plague doctors were the last things they ever saw. Anyway, if you liked the episode, please drop us a review. It helps the podcast out. If you think friends and family may like this, then share it with them. Links to TikTok, YouTube, Insta, the show email and Twitter are below. If you've been listening for a while, why not subscribe? Please do that and then you never miss an episode. With all that out of the way, please join me for episode 4 and more dark history. <laughs>